This is the Time of Your Life, brought to you by the Seniors Association Kingston Region, a weekly program to help guide you through the ever-evolving world of health and fitness. Every week we'll have a feature interview, tips on how to stay active physically and mentally, and much, much more. the sound of a rare musical instrument that through a happy circumstance found its way to a Kingston church and it's massive both in size and sound. The Kingston Theatre Organ Society is the proud owner of a Kimball Theatre Pipe Organ, now safely at home at the Kingston Korean Church on Kirkpatrick Street. It was built in 1928 for a movie theatre in the United States. Roy Young is the president of the Theatre Organ Society. Well, uh, a number of years ago, there was a number of people in Kingston that were theater organ enthusiasts, and they started looking for an organ and eventually found one in uh, Ohio, and then they had to find a place to put it. And so these 10 or 12 fellows got together, hauled it up here on a truck. Laura McDonald got some stuff through uh, Parliament and got it in without duty, and so that's how it actually arrived here from Youngstown, Ohio. Now we back up and talk about the history of the instrument itself. How did it wind up in Youngstown? What was, what was it initially designed for? It was initially designed as an organ to accompany silent movies, which is why it's called a theater organ or a unit orchestra, because it would replace an orchestra playing for a silent film. An awful lot cheaper is to play one man than to pay a dozen or two dozen or three dozen in a big theater. And so uh, they got started that way. This one started its life in 1928, uh, being built for a theater. And the theater, I believe, was the one in Youngstown, Ohio. It was installed, played there for a number of years. Theater changes hands. Theater changes purpose. And the next thing you know, the poor thing is sitting in storage. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It's remarkable, given that 1928 is just on the cusp of talkies, which would have put theater organs out of business. So how did this thing actually manage to survive all those years, even given that it was in storage? That I really don't know. It's one of those mysteries that they took it out, somebody carefully restored it, or carefully stored it. Uh, The problem was that at that, well, not a problem, At that time, it was nowhere near as big as it is now. It only had 12 ranks of pipe at that time, and we now have 28 ranks on it. How much effort went into restoring it, well, installing it and restoring it, whichever came first? The installation, I would say, came first, and there was an awful lot of work went into that. I think it took them nearly two years um, just to get the thing up to a point where it would be playing. 
and that was with the original 12 ranks of pipe on it. And then as more pipes became available, more ranks that we found them around, they would bring them up and install them and somebody would come in and voice them so that they matched up sound-wise with the rest of the organ that was already here until it finally arrived at its full-blown state now of 28 ranks. I guess when we talk about pipes, you should explain that a bit because what basically they are pipes of various diameters, right? You got that exactly right. Uh, not only are they various diameters, there are wood pipes in there that are square, and they will be anywhere from a few inches long to, uh, in this organ, eight feet long. We have some that give you a 16-foot sound by the way they're built, but they're wood. They're different kinds of metals. Different metals sound differently when they're blown through, and, of course, they all have lips and all the other kind of funny things that nobody knows about on them. And so by shaping the pipes differently, you get all those various sounds. How did it wind up in this church? Well, that was another thing. They, they had the organ in hand uh, and were looking for a place for it, and they went to the Grand Theater to see if there was space for it there, and there wasn't. And they went to a couple of high schools to see if there was space in their auditoriums, and there wasn't. But the pastor of uh, this church, when it was uh, an Anglican church, was one of the enthusiasts, and so they decided that, well, we might as well put it here because we could use it on Sunday, too. So they sacrificed about eight feet off the front of the church, installed all the pipes up in there, put the console out here where we can move it back and forth. So that's how it got to be here. And I understand that recently, in the last few years, there was the possibility that you were going to have to look for a new home for this organ. You bet, and that was the biggest scare that I've had in a long time because an organ like this, we had estimated, would cost about $100,000 to move it. And we started looking around. Uh, Queen's University had space for it. The church was being sold, which is why we had to look. And when Queen's saw it, they were enthused about it, but not enough to find a hundred grand to move it. And then along came the sale of the church, and it was sold to a Korean church. And they had a look at it, and we sat down and negotiated with them. And they have, since 2010 roughly, been our hosts. And we have just enjoyed the working with them and the fact that we were able to keep it here and not have to move it. Yeah, because I guess, uh, as you say, it's not easy to find a home for something like this. No, it isn't. We had looked at a couple of other churches as possibilities at the time of the move, but, you know, it takes up an awful lot of space. The space taken up in this building is eight feet deep, about 45 feet wide, and three stories high. So you've got the organ. It's installed in the church. It has what looks like a nice permanent home now. What do you do with it? We have concerts. We also have uh, time on the organ each Monday. Uh, our our people, the Theater Organ Society, um, anybody that plays it wants to come in, they can play it on a Monday. And in the meantime, it's played on Sundays for their church services and uh, sometimes I think accompanies their praise band. But then we also have at least five professional concerts a year. And those concerts are by what is known as the A-list of theater organ players. And those players will come here at reduced cost because the organ is so good, they just want a chance to play it. 
And we have been told by some of the top players in the world of this, of this type of organ that this is one of the ten best, if not the three best, in the world. So we're kind of proud about that, and we brag about it a lot. As well you should, given the, you know, that kind of high praise. Now, what kind of music can you expect if you come to one of your concerts? You can expect anything from the beer barrel polka to SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> the, uh, the variety of music is phenomenal. Um, there's a little story that we like to tell about Dave Wickerham, who played here, has played here many times. He was playing, and about a four-year-old was dancing in the aisle very quietly. But when the organ stopped, of course, she's still out in the aisle. And he turned around, realized she was there, and said to her, what would you like to hear me play? And she said, twinkle, twinkle, little star. So he turned around, put the chimes down on the organ, and he played it through once, just the chimes. And then he began to expand on it. And by the time he was finished, two or three minutes later, he had Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star with a full orchestration behind it. Which proves the point that this isn't just an organ, in quotation marks. This is literally an orchestra. It is. When you look at the stop tabs on it, Jim will probably tell you some of the names later, but there are things like trumpets and tubas and post horns and flutes and a whole bunch of other stuff that are strictly organ sounds. And so that's why it has been called a unit orchestra, because you can re replicate what an orchestra will sound like within certain limits. But it's all one person. It is all one person. Now, how about maintaining this thing? Um, well, first of all, before we talk about that, how much of it is original? You mentioned the pipes, but what about the actual organ itself? Well, it gets to a point where how do you find the, define the organ itself? The organ itself, as far as I'm concerned, is the console, all the stop tabs, 250 of them, uh, 32 pedal notes, three keyboards, and then you go behind the wall and you find around 2,100 pipes, bass drum, xylophone, uh, crystal glot, all kinds of instruments like that. They're all acoustic instruments. There is no electronic. Well, we do have a way of putting electronic instruments, but we don't normally. And so from that point of view, that is an organ of pipes and wood and brass and anything else you can think of. But between the console and the pipes is a computer. And that computer basically just monitors everything on the console, converts it into what is known as MIDI, musical instrument digital interface, and then that transmits back into the back where there's two more computers that decodes what's coming in and sends off individual signals to each and every pipe that's in there that's supposed to be played when you push that key. That's amazing. So the sound, though, even given that there's a computer involved, is the sound that this thing was designed to produce? It was exactly. Uh, anybody who heard it in 1928 and came back and heard it today, those pipes sound just the same as they did in 38, in 28, rather. Which brings me back to the um, first part of that question, maintenance. I mean, if something breaks on this, does it break? It does, not with regularity. Uh, Jim Hopkins, our uh, organ technician, uh, he usually can repair pretty well anything that's gone wrong with it in the last several years. And so our maintenance bill has been nominal. We do have a friend, a colleague in Toronto who's very good at this kind of stuff, so if it gets beyond us, 
we call Toronto. If it gets beyond that, it can't be done. <laughs> I should have asked, how many of, uh, of these organs exist now? We think the figure is about 350 worldwide. There are two in good operation in Canada, this one and the one in Casaloma in Toronto. There is another one out in Vancouver, which I have no idea whether it's still operational even, and that's the third one in Canada. So, given that there are only two operational in Canada, your ranking with this thing is pretty, even more impressive. Well, it is, because, uh, you know, we can say it's the largest theatre pipe organ in Canada, but that only means it's bigger than the one in Toronto, uh, for real. But the thing is, Toronto brags that they have the largest Wurlitzer in Canada. So they've got bragging rights to that. Uh, it's a different beast. It sounds much the same in some places and quite different in others, like in some ranks. But uh, that's all there is in Canada, but there's a lot more in the States, which is why we are still able to maintain a reasonable cohort of organists who can handle a beast this size. Well, we've talked about the background of the theater organ and the concerts. Um, anything that, that I've overlooked that you'd like to mention? I don't think so, other than that, uh, you know, this is a verbal interview, and it isn't going anywhere until you actually hear what the thing can do. And so I'm going to shove you across to Jim and let him show you a couple of things on the organ. My name is Jim Hopkins. I'm the vice president of the Kingston Theatre Organ Society and I'm one of the playing members as well. First of all, Jim, how did you uh, become acquainted with this theatre organ? Well, I'd never heard one before, and, and a friend of mine invited me to the second concert of this series in 1981 when it opened, and uh, as soon as I heard it, I fell in love with it. So I became a member of the society, and uh, a few months later, I actually had the opportunity to start playing the organ as well, which was quite a challenge. What was your musical background? Um, I pretty much self-taught on the keyboard and uh, had a small Hammond organ at home, which I, I like to play quite a bit. And when I got the chance to play this one, I jumped at it, of course. How big a jump is it from the Hammond to this? Uh, it's like a light year, <laughs> a jump from one, one instrument to the other. It, it was about three months before I actually started feeling comfortable with playing the instrument itself. So there are three keyboards... And there are all sorts of, what do you call them, stops and et cetera, et cetera. It, it's, it's one really impressive-looking beast. Yeah. Well, in fact, there are actually four keyboards because there are the three keyboards that you see on top, but there's a pedal board down below, which is, in fact, another, another keyboard in itself. You can actually play a piece of music on the pedal board itself if you're good enough. <laughs> But I, I said earlier, it's like flying a helicopter where you're using both hands and both feet pretty much all the time. Yes, you mentioned that, and strangely enough, there is a connection between aviation and theater organs. There was a company down in the States, the family that ran it was called, their name was Link, and the son uh, lost interest in the theater organ, but he used a lot of the technology that, that ran theater organs to actually build the first Link trainer in aviation, so... Which was the forerunner of all those flight simulator yes. programs you see now. Yes. Basically, a lot of people learn to fly on a Link uh, simulator. They, they, most of the aviation pilots have to do that, yes. Now, you talked about taking a few months to even become comfortable, start feeling comfortable with the organ. 
how far from that point to performing? Uh, well, I'd say it was another couple of years before I actually uh, started feeling comfortable playing in front of other people. And uh, uh, for a number of years there, we actually had what we called members, a members concert, where four or five of us would actually uh, play, play a concert for people. And so we only, you know, we each got about 10 minutes or so. But it was two years before I, I actually felt comfortable even trying to do that. And because, as we mentioned in the previous interview, this is really an orchestra as opposed to just an organ, you can play any kind of music. Absolutely. You can play just about any type of music you want on this. Uh, some sounds better than others. Uh, for our concerts, uh, a lot of the music that gets played is from uh, shows to show tunes. Music from the 40s and 50s is, is, is exceptionally good on the organ. And a lot of the old novelty tunes from the uh, early 1900s and, and 20s. When you have uh, your guest artists come in for the concerts, uh, do you pick their brains? I do. <laughs> uh, during the concert, uh, one of the things that we have during the concert, actually, is we have a couple of cameras mounted on the, the console. So uh, while the concert's going on, you can actually, we project up on the, on the screen, movie screen here, the artist actually, you can see his hands playing the organ, so I watch that very carefully. And I presume you've picked up a few things. I have indeed, yes. <laughs> you mentioned the kinds of music that you can play on this, virtually everything. Do you have a particular favorite kind that you like? I like a lot of the music from Broadway musicals. Uh, the other thing I do do, uh, and I have done, is I've, I've picked up uh, silent movies. And uh, I've been able to do a, a couple of uh, co short comedies, Laurel and Hardy short comedies, which I, I have played the musical accompaniment to. I wonder, did the... I know that uh, when the silence were in full fling, scores would be sent out and organ players and pianists would play along with a movie from a score that was written by somebody in Hollywood, I presume. Do any of those still exist? There are some that are still around. Uh, one of the artists that we had in the past, who's now passed on, but uh, was called Lee Irwin. And he took upon it himself to write a lot of new scores for a lot of the older movies. So some of uh, those are available. But the other interesting thing is not just music. You can punctuate the music with sound effects. Well, especially for the short comedies, uh, if you have a, a, a car, they're jumping out of the way of a car, you have an Anuga horn there that will, you can sound. If they slip on something, there's a slide whistle that that'll, you can put in, punctuate that. And we have birds, bird whistles, and we have uh, sleigh bells and uh, train, uh, train whistles and all kinds of things. So yeah. it's a whole new experience for anyone who's only seen silent movies um, in silence or with a generic soundtrack to hear it as... It was designed to be seen and heard. It is a, an experience. Uh, I hadn't had that experience until I started coming here, but it, it is a, a different experience altogether. The greatest compliment the organ player can have at the end of one of those performances is to, for the audience to say, we didn't even know you were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they don't say that too much. It's bad on the ego. <laughs> you also do maintenance on this thing when required? I do. 
Uh, Roy and I together both uh, work on that, especially before each concert, we have to tune the organ for each of our professional concerts, and that's 2,100 pipes that we have to go through one by one just to make sure that they're all sounding in tune and, and sounding properly. Sounds like a chore in itself. It is. Uh, it's, if we're doing it at the beginning of the year, we start at 9.30 in the morning, and we're lucky if we're finished by 3.30 in the afternoon. It's a full day's work, yeah. That is a full day's work. Jim, thank you very much. You're welcome. Jim Hopkins playing the 1928 Kimball Theater pipe organ. You've been listening to The Time of Your Life, a show about staying healthy mentally and physically, presented by the Kingston Region Seniors Association. 